Welcome to the show where we say better safe than sorry. Better to use the hazmat suit and not need it than to not use it and need it. That's that's my motto. I say it all the time. I sound like a broken record. Uh, let me just say about the coronavirus, there, there's a lot of unnecessary panic. You don't need to panic. I want to be very clear about that. You know, the last thing that I would want to do is take part in that panic or drive that panic. Uh, you know, I, 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 for one, am, am really about taking the whole thing in stride. Um, now, I do believe, though, in basic precautions, but nothing extraordinary, nothing, nothing extreme. Okay, you wash your hands, you practice good hygiene, you wear a surgical mask 24 hours a day. Uh, you kill anybody in your house who has a cold and burn their bodies in the backyard. Really basic stuff. And frankly, I'm talking about things that you should be doing anyway. So this is this is this is nothing out of the ordinary at all. Now, um, today on the show, we have uh, a lot to cover, both literally and uh, figuratively. Figuratively, we're going to start with uh, the continued collapse of Western civilization, which is uh, not just being brought about by the coronavirus, but uh, by you know I, I mean also in a cultural way. And as far as culture goes. Uh, I have two different videos that have gone viral over the past few days that I think evidence are evidence of the cultural collapse of Western civilization. Always a fun topic. We'll talk about that. And we'll go through five headlines, which include, of course, election news, coronavirus news, and uh, one story about California, uh, you know, California really focusing on the important things. In this case, they're passing a law requiring retailers to uh, have gender neutral space in their toy, in their toy sections. So very, very important. Uh, also, in our daily cancellation, I'll be canceling a prestigious academic institution. And in our email segment, an emailer has uh, written to me to tell me why I'm wrong about something. Those are always my favorite emails, so we'll listen to that. Okay, um, so let's get going. And actually, I guess I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do the whole show in the mask, mainly because it's making my glasses fog up, which I hadn't which I hadn't uh, factored in. So I'm I'm risking my life for you people right now. That's what I that's what I'm that's that's the kind of dedication I have to you. Uh, by the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned this yet, but uh, stop me if you've heard this one before, but I do have a new book out called Church of Cowards, which is right here behind my uh, hand sanitizer, which I have with me handy at all times. Um, and, uh, you know, the feedback on this book has been really encouraging. It's, 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 it's kind of a nerve-wracking thing to write a book in general because you're putting yourself out there. It's a very personal sort of thing. And if people don't like it, then it, it might make you cry. But um, in this case, uh, the feedback has been great. And, and I, I do appreciate that, especially because the book uh, confronts the reader. It is a, a confrontational book in, in some ways. And so you're never sure how people are going to react to that. But um, uh, as I said, the feedback's been great. So please give it a read, Church of Cowards, if you haven't yet. Now, on to the collapse of the West. Uh, a video was posted to the social media site TikTok a few days ago, and that video shows a woman laughing and smiling as she goes in to have her child murdered at Planned Parenthood. Uh, it's, it's implied that, in the video, it's implied that this is her second abortion, so this is her second go-round, but um, this is pretty infuriating. I'm warning you if you haven't seen it yet, but take a look at this. How do you feel, Ashley? <laughs> Don't be scared. I'm right here. Okay, and uh, yeah, I had to take off the whole suit because it was getting kind of hot. I, I decided that I'd rather, 
I'd rather get coronavirus than, than be uncomfortable. That's the decision that I made. Now, um, you saw the video there. The first thing to realize, though, uh, w- with a video like that is that it's, it's not an isolated thing. This is part of a trend on the left. Uh, you, you may recall Shout Your Abortion, the Shout Your Abortion campaign a few years ago, which is ongoing. And the goal is to, is to get women to be happy about their abortions, to brag about them, uh, to treat them as, as either completely frivolous and meaningless or as an actual joyful act, something to, to be happy about. And, and the media in Hollywood are in on the act, and they're constantly trying to promote this idea, this version of abortion. Maybe you, you remember that episode of, uh, of the show Scandal on ABC a few years ago that showed a woman getting an abortion while Silent Night played in the background. This was a Christmas episode, I believe. So it was supposed to be this inspirational and, and heroic moment. And that's how the pro-abortion side wants us to see abortion, heroic, happy, or, as I said, at a minimum, uh, meaningless and frivolous. They'll take that, too. That, that also works. Now, you'll notice something. Back 20 years ago, pro-aborts used to say that their goal was to make abortion safe, legal, and rare, right? Um, well, that's out the window now and has been for years. Yeah, they want it to be legal still, obviously, through all stages of pregnancy, and they, want, they say they want it to be safe, although the idea of the safe abortion is a contradiction in terms because every single abortion kills at least one person uh, un- unless, it, unless it fails. Every successful abortion kills at least one person and then unless it fails and, and the baby survives. But we know, of course, that in that case, uh, the baby can be put to the side of the room and left to die. And that's what Democrats want to happen, which is why they voted down a bill that would have stopped that from happening last week. Um, so contradiction in terms of uh, for safe abortion. But Pro-aborts will still go around talking about the safe abortion. What they don't talk about is a rare. They don't say they want rare. Rare is out the window. You're not allowed to call for rare abortions anymore. Uh, that's, a, that's a good way to get evicted, expelled, exiled from the left if you do that. In a similar way, we used to be told that abortion is a sad and somber affair. It's, it's something that uh, they, we used to be told nobody wants to get an abortion. It's, it's a very sad thing, and so we should... We should be sad about it, but it's, it may be necessary, and this is a choice that a woman has to make. That used to be the, the way that abortion was presented, but now um, not so much. Now that's been exchanged for champagne and, com- and confetti and giggling girls walking into uh, Planned Parenthood filming whimsical viral videos about it. The reason for this change is obvious. And even though it's hideously evil, it actually makes a lot of sense in terms of strategy. Because the pro-abortion side realized that, wait a second, if we admit that abortion is sad, and we say that we want it to happen less often, then the obvious question is raised next, uh, why? You know, why is it sad? Why do you want it to happen less often? What is it about abortion that makes even you, as a pro-abortion person, say that it's sad and it shouldn't happen very often? Well, the answer is because you're killing a person. If it's not killing a person, if it really is just a clump of cells, a parasitic organism that a woman is expelling from her body, then there's nothing sad about it, and there's no reason to say we, we should. it should be rare. If anything, it should happen more often, right? And that's what the pro-abortion side realizes. And so they said, forget all that sad stuff. Forget all that rare stuff. Abortion is actually awesome. That's what we're being told now. Now, another point to be made here, um, 
as we continue. But first, a word from our friends over at Noom. You know, uh, the thing about about getting healthy is it's 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 not an either or thing. It's not um, it's not just about losing weight or just about gaining muscle. It's really mind and body. Health is a is a is a is a total sort of experience. Uh, where you want to be a healthy person overall. And that's what Noom is focused on. They're, they're focused on helping you be a healthy person across the board, not just in one facet of health. And because everyone is different, what Noom is going to do is they're going to adjust um, their service to your lifestyle and to who you are, which is what you need. There can't be a cookie-cutter approach to this. Uh, it's really just about changing habits. You know, We all have bad habits, and that's what leads us to being unhealthy. I know that's the case for me. And so how do you get rid of those bad habits and replace them with good habits? That's what the goal of, of Noom is, and that's what they're going to do. Noom is not a diet. It's a healthy and easy-to-stick-to way of life. No food is good or bad or off-limits. It's not like that. Noom just teaches moderation in all things, which is, a, which is a good skill to learn in general in life. You don't have to change it all in one day. Small steps make big progress. Sign up for your trial today at noom.com slash Walsh. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash Walsh. What do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash Walsh to start your trial today. That's noom.com slash Walsh, N-O-O-M dot com slash Walsh. Okay, talking about uh, that vile TikTok video, I've always said that many women who get abortions are themselves victims. And I think that's an important point because they are exploited and lied to by the abortion industry. Um, in so many cases, you're talking about young, poor girls who go into these clinics. Um, they don't have any parents at home or, the, or, or their parents are, are, are pressuring them in, into getting the abortion. There's no man in the picture. The father's not in the picture, or else he's also pressuring. And uh, they don't know what their options are. Um, there's a lot of confusion and fear and everything. They walk into the, into the clinic, many times because they've been told that you know Planned Parenthood cares about women. And if, if you're a woman in a, in, a, in a difficult situation, go to Planned Parenthood, and, and they care about you. They're going to try to help you. And so they walk in thinking that that's what's going to happen. And then... Planned Parenthood or the abortion clinic, whatever clinic it is, they descend like vultures and they, they feast on the confusion and fear of this girl to try to convince her to kill her child, knowing that she's going to live a life of regret and guilt because of it. But they don't care because they get the money and that's all, they, that's all that they are really worried about. Uh, so that's why I say in that case, the woman is also a victim. Now, I'm not saying she has zero moral culpability for the choice she's making, but she's also a victim. And I think we need to turn our attention to the abortion clinic as the primary villain here. But in other cases, women who get abortions are simply murderous psychopaths. And this is one of those cases. Either that or this is a desperate attempt on her part to convince herself that she doesn't need to feel guilty. This is a, a rationalization, which so much of this shout your abortion stuff, that's exactly what it is. They're not talking to you. You know, the woman's not really talking to you. She's not really trying to convince you. She's trying to convince herself. Um, so it could be that. But the fact that this is her second abortion, apparently, and the approach she's taking to it makes me think that this is, this is the case. This is a case of a psychopath killing her child and feeling nothing about it. And there are many psychopaths on the pro-abortion side. The abortion doctors, for example, many of them, I believe, are clinical psychopaths. 
Now, I want to show you this. Um, here's a, a quote-unquote Dr. Joe Nelson on Twitter a few days ago. He's an abortionist. That is a medical serial killer. And um, here he is responding to another abortionist who was expressing similar views. And Nelson says, this captures beautifully the reality that I see every day. Abortion is so often an act of selflessness and love, of going through a difficult process and braving others and even self-judgment in order to help somebody, uh, even if that somebody is your future self. Hashtag abortion is love. These are the words of a psychopath. Abortion is love. That's, this is someone who, who doesn't even understand the concept of being selfless. Because even putting aside the fact that abortion is evil and killing someone, by definition, if you're doing something to help yourself, it is not selfless. Even if it's a good thing, it's not selfless. Eating a healthy diet is a good thing. Is it a selfless act? Of course not. You're doing it for yourself. Now, when you consider that in this case, we're talking about killing somebody, your own child, um, for your sake, in order to have, live a more comfortable life, that is the diametric opposite of selflessness. That is exactly opposed to selflessness. But uh, this is something that this guy doesn't understand because he's a psychopath. And he has to be. I think you have to be a psychopath to do this for a living. Imagine going to your job every day, going to work, clocking in you know, at, at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, and then just setting about on the task of killing children all day. There's no way to, to not be a psychopath and, and do that job. You wouldn't be able to survive. Uh, okay. Now, I also wanted to play this for you while we're on the subject, like I said, of videos that illustrate the collapse of Western society. Here's a video. Uh, maybe you saw on, on Friday. I wrote a thing about it. It's a video from a drag brunch. And a drag brunch is a thing that white liberals go to where they eat brunch and they watch a man dress like a woman dance badly. Um, and this is something they, you know, they enjoy going to for some reason. Only at this brunch, somebody brought their kid and the kid was, was brought to the front of the, of the uh, festivities, put on a chair, and the drag queen danced suggestively for the child. And the whole scene looks exactly like it would at a, at a bachelor party where you've got the, you know, the, the, the guy um, sitting there in a, in a chair while the stripper is, is dancing. So it's the exact same kind of thing. Except in this case, it's a drag queen and what looks to be maybe a six or seven year old girl. Uh, watch. Could you be the one to call when I lose control? Revolting, vile, evil, infuriating. All those words and many others come to mind. We're going to talk about this in just a second. But before we do, um, I want to check in with our good friends over at Rock Auto. You know, uh, the thing about cars today is that they're way more complicated today than, than, than they have been in the past. Even, even you know, growing up. Uh, cars are just getting more and more complicated. Part of that is because of all the computers that are now in cars uh, everything, you know, it's like our phones are also getting way more complicated. And in, in so many cases, 
it's because the phone wants to do a million things that, has not, that have nothing to do with actually making phone calls. Well, it's the same thing with cars. Um, and that's what makes it so difficult if you need auto parts to go to a chain store and find what you're looking for. Because there are so many different things. Uh, it can be just a difficult way of finding what you want. Chain stores also have different price tiers depending on who you are, if you're a professional or you're a, a do-it-yourselfer. RockAuto.com makes it all easier. And they're not, they're not doing that. It's not about, uh, they're not, they're not going to try to bilk you if you're, if you're not a professional. They've got everything you could possibly need. Very easy to navigate. Remarkably low prices. And it's all right there for you. RockAuto.com has everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, new carpet, everything you want. Go to RockAuto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Walsh in there. How did you hear about us, Box? So that they know that I sent you. Okay, so the video of the um, drag queen dancing for the for the little girl. Uh, first thing, obviously, you know what I'm going to say. This is child abuse. And everybody, all the adults in that room, in that video, should be, go, should, should be going to prison. Uh, in, a, in a sane and just society, what you would see in that video at the end are a bunch of police officers breaking the door down and uh, cuffing those people and, and throwing them in the paddy wagon and bringing them to jail. That's what should happen. And if you somehow don't agree or you, or you don't see how this is child abuse, then keep in mind that drag shows are burlesque. It's, a, it's burlesque, except that the only difference is that it's men pretending to be women. Well, let me ask you. Do you think it'd be appropriate to bring a six-year-old to a burlesque show in, in Vegas with women? I mean, would anybody do that? Would, and if someone did do that, would, would anyone else, you know, defend it? No. We would all agree that, uh, you know, of course, if you're an adult, you want to go to a burlesque show, you're, you're free to do, to do that. That's, 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 uh, you, you can do that. But uh, to bring your child is completely crazy. Now, uh, but, okay, now we, we, we replace those women with men and all of a sudden it's family friendly? Does that make any sense? It's the same thing with child drag queens. We would all agree, I hope, I assume, that to have a, a, a seven-year-old recruited by a burlesque troupe would be uh, exploitation and, 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 and pedophilic and, and just horrible. Nobody would agree with that. Yet, it's okay if it's a boy? So it, it would be, we would all agree, wrong for a seven-year-old girl to perform burlesque, but a boy can do it? Makes absolutely no sense. So clearly this is child abuse. But there's another thing I wanted to, I wanted to f- focus on in that video. And that, uh, that's the, the men in the background. You saw that whole line of men sitting at tables with big stupid grins on their face watching while this happens. And I really believe that the story of child exploitation in our culture and the proliferation of child sexual abuse, the normalization of it, the mainstreaming of it, is largely a story of men, of fathers and of husbands, failing to do their job as men. These are, these are moral eunuchs. These are emasculated, pathetic, spineless jellyfish who are just sitting there, not only tolerating um, this abuse of a child, but actually cheering it on. Now, if those were real men, 
And what I mean by real men, I mean men not just in the biological sense, but also men who, who are interested in and capable of fulfilling their duty as men in the culture, um, then what they would be doing is they'd be gra- grabbing that drag queen by the collar, if he has a collar, and uh, dragging him out of the room and kicking him out on his ass, out of the room, and then calling the police. That would be the appropriate response of a man. Instead, those people just sit there applauding. You know, if you're, if you're a, a real man, a real father and a real husband, and your wife comes to you and says, hey, there's a drag brunch. Well, why don't we go to that and, and, bring, uh, and, bring, and bring Sally with us? Bring seven-year-old Sally with us to the drag brunch. The response from a man should be um, words to the effect of, though maybe stronger than, hell no. Are you crazy? We're not going, she's not going, and you're not going. That's not going to happen. Instead, what these men apparently said is, yeah, well, gee, honey, that sounds great. That sounds like a splendid afternoon. Let's go. Let's go to the drag brunch. I mean, even if you're not bringing a child, taking the child out of it, what kind of man goes to a drag brunch in the first place? Child or not. And then you throw the child into it and just makes the whole thing even more grotesque. All right, um, let's uh, let's move on. I can't dwell on that too much without my my head actually exploding, which I don't want that to happen on on camera. Um, so let's move on. Let's go to headlines. Here are five headlines uh, worth knowing about. Number one, Joe Biden, of course, won the Democratic primary in South Carolina on Saturday, giving him his first. I think it's his first primary win ever in three presidential contests. So big moment for him, and this will maybe give him some momentum heading into uh, tomorrow. That's what I'm told anyway by all the pundits. It's momentum for Super Tuesday. It'll come down either to, to Biden or Bernie, of course, the top two candidates. Top two candidates with a combined age of 155. So if you put them together. They add up to somebody who um, would have been born around the time when Lee surrendered to Grant at Appomattox. That's, that's how old these two people are. This is what the Democrats have come up with. This is the best they can do. Two guys who are unlikely to survive their first terms in office and quite likely to go senile in the process. One in six people over the age of 80 are senile. That's almost 20%. And the life expectancy for a 75-year-old man in the U.S. is 10 years. So he's, he's likely, on average, to live another 10 years. Um, now, so, which means that both of them, um, in their second term, they're, they're, they're in the red zone, so to speak. If they, if they, if they have, but even in their first term, the likelihood, based on that average, the likelihood that they die during their first term in office is really substantial. And that's when you factor in that you know things like the the average of, of people who go senile at eighty and uh, life expectancy. You know this is factoring in for the most part. These are normal older people who are retired for the most part and are just living basically stress free lives. Now think you've got a we're, we're talking about a, an old man, an elderly man who's not only employed full time but has one of the most stressful jobs in the world. Is that going to help or hurt his chances of beating the odds and surviving and staving off dementia? Meanwhile, Bernie's got a bad heart, he's already had a heart attack. Biden is visibly confused and flustered, and I don't say that as a joke. I mean, he, he really is losing it. And this is what we this is the best we've got. Meanwhile, as as people have pointed out online, um, 
this makes this makes Donald Trump the youngest male in the field at 73 years old. He's the youngest man. Which now I'm anticipating a future CNN headline of you know something like as as the youngest male candidate in the field. Does Donald Trump have the experience to be president? Something like, you think I'm joking. I am sort of joking, but th- something like that is going to be that headline, I guarantee you, from, from one of these outlets. We're going to see something like that. Meanwhile, of course, we mourn the death of uh, Pete Buttigieg's campaign. He dropped out on Sunday night, realizing that all he could do at this point was siphon uh, votes from, from Biden. Um, and so he figures better to have a comparatively, uh, you know, to have a crazy old but comparatively moderate Democrat rather than a crazy old socialist. And that's the calculation he's making. Here's what I'll say about Buttigieg. To his credit, the man was a cheap imitation of Obama. He was a derivative hack, uh, a heretic who bastardized scripture for his own ends, as well as a moral coward. Maybe I'm confused about what the phrase to his credit means. I don't know. Number two, the state of California faces a number of crises all at once. Um, Drug addiction, homelessness, now it even has the coronavirus to contend with. But thank God the lawmakers in that state are really focused on the important issues. Uh, because, you know, staving off a pandemic, rescuing people from the throes of drug addiction, dealing with homelessness, these all pale in comparison to the scourge of gender-segregated toy stores. And that's what California is trying to fix. They, they worked out a bill, it's, being, it's proposed, working its way through the state legislature, um, that would require uh, large retail department stores to have gender-neutral space for clothing, toys, any, anything for kids. Um, which means that basically the goal is to make it harder for shoppers to find what they're looking for, because that's all it's going to do. Because no matter what you do, no matter what kind of engineering you try socially, no matter how much you insist otherwise, girls generally want girly stuff and boys generally want boy stuff. There's no law uh, requiring, you know, girls to play with dolls and boys to play with trucks. There's no law. I, I, don't, I don't think society is, is super focused on forcing boys to play with trucks. It's just how it works out. I've seen this play out in my own family. And I've had a, a somewhat unique view as, as um, someone who, you know, our first kids were, were boy-girl twins. So they were raised in the same home, same environment. They were in the same room. They had access to the same playroom. All the toys were right there. You know, I, we never said to our son, here are the boy toys. You must play with those. You understand me, son? We never said that to our one-year-old son. Never said it. We would just let them loose into the playroom, play with whatever toys you want. And what do you know, nine times out of ten, the boy goes for the truck, he goes for the action figures, he goes for the ball, he goes for that kind of stuff, and the girl goes for the pink frilly stuff, for the dolls, for all that. You know, the, the kitchen, the toy kitchen set, the, the hairbrush, that's, how, that's what they do. We didn't force it on them, we didn't brainwash them into it, they just do that. And so when you, when you, when you uh, and that's why these items are typically segregated in stores because it's just easier for the shoppers because that's what their kids want anyway. Uh, And now you're just making it more difficult. You look at Target. Target a few years ago made a big deal about they were going to go gender neutral. They're not going to have a girl section and a boy section anymore. But yet if you go to Target, they still do have a girl section and a boy section. They just don't label it girl and boy. But they have the girl stuff here and the boy stuff there. 
And the reason they do that is because that's what the shoppers want, because that's what the kids want, because that's just natural. Number three, according to new data just released, almost half of Americans, 42%, are obese. So this is like a ritual now. Every three months we get a story updating us on the number of fat people, and that number is going up. Now, I agree, of course, that there are a lot of fat people walking around out there, uh, or maybe not walking. Maybe that's part of the problem. But I do also think that this this, uh, epidemic of obesity might be slightly exaggerated. And I only say that because... If you, if you go look at a chart online of what they consider overweight and obese to be, depending on height, you're going to find they, they, you know, they don't give you a lot of room, so to speak, pun intended. They don't, they don't give you, a, there's, there's, there's not a lot of room in the healthy range. It's a very strict, very small range that's healthy. And then, and then beyond that, you're overweight. So for example, for me, uh, I'm about six foot one and well, you know, I'm like six and a, and a half. I, I call myself six one. And I, I, I was just looking at one of these charts. The claim is that the optimal weight for me is 140 pounds to 180 pounds. 140 pounds for a six foot one inch man is considered optimal, according to doctors. Now, I haven't been 140 pounds since like 10th grade. If I was 140 pounds, I would be skin and bones. I would look like Skeletor. I would look like uh, Tom Hanks in Castaway after three years on the island. That I, I can't even imagine being that. There's no way that's healthy. And you know, I, I tend to be of the belief that a man should have a little bit of meat on the bones. He's supposed to be protector and provider. If I'm just this, this, this skeletal figure wandering around the house, you know, I stub my toe and break my entire foot kind of thing, I'm not going to be a lot of use to my family. So... Um, you know, that's what they consider. According to that range, I'm actually, I'm overweight. I might be obese. I don't feel overweight. I don't think I necessarily look overweight, but that's what they say. So I, I keep that in mind when they talk about the obese, uh, obesity epidemic. I think I'm, I guess I'm getting lumped in with that. Who knows? Maybe I deserve it. I do enjoy Cinnabon, I admit. Number four, and the list of countries who have been hit by the coronavirus is now at 60. 60 countries have been have reported cases uh, as Belarus, Lithuania, New Zealand, Nigeria, Azerbaijan, uh, the Netherlands all joined in the fray in the past uh, 48 hours or so. Meanwhile, the total cases in the U.S. has risen to above 70. I do think we should keep something in mind, even though I was wearing a hazmat suit to start the show. A couple of things. First of all, most of the deaths are older people who are already in poor health with, with compromised immune systems. Um, so, you know, in other words, th- these are not young, healthy people who are dying of this illness. The people that's especially at risk of dying from coronavirus are the same people who are at risk from dying from the flu and many other illnesses. For most people who've had it, the experience is like having a bad cold. You have a fever, you have a cough. In fact, the Washington Post over the weekend ran an an op-ed from someone who has the coronavirus and is now quarantined, has been quarantined for many days. And uh, he said it's not that bad. He just, you know, he's had a fever, he's had a cough. He's, you know, uh, the the biggest challenge is just being bored, being uh, quarantined all this time. So um, that's, that's an important fact here. And that's not to say that it, that it isn't so bad for everybody. It's just that if you're relatively young and healthy, it probably wouldn't be so bad for you. 
The death rate, according to the information that I saw, the death rate is 10 times higher among the elderly. So that just gives you an idea. Also something else to remember. Second thing, the death rate, the mortality rate of two or 3%, that's based on recorded cases. And the thing about recorded cases is that for one thing, most of them are in China where the healthcare system is in shambles. That's going to inflate the mortality rate. Also, more to the point, there are almost certainly, it is reasonable to assume, thousands and thousands and thousands of people who've, who've had the coronavirus, especially before it was all over the headlines, you know, had symptoms of a cough and a fever, never went to the doctor or did go to the doctor and weren't tested for the coronavirus because it didn't seem like a, a serious illness, and recovered and are out living their lives, and they don't count as an official case. The point is, if we actually knew the exact number of everyone who's had the coronavirus, and then we were to compare that to the number of people who've died from it, I think the mortality rate would be much, much lower. People who are dying, now you might say, well, maybe there are people who've died from it and don't count as, as recorded cases. Yeah, there probably are some. But if you're dying from an illness, if you're that ill, you're much more likely to go to the doctor. And they're much more likely to run all kinds of tests to find out what's wrong with you. So there's a much greater likelihood that those people in that category, the people that are going to end up as, unfortunately, in the, in, the, in the death statistic, they're much more likely to go to the doctor. The ones who are not going to end up in that statistic are much less likely to go. And so you see how that affects it. Um, the number that I saw is, uh, is researchers now are saying, taking all this into account, they're saying that maybe the death rate is around 1%. Maybe. But even that is highly speculative, and we don't have enough of a sample size yet to know. So I'm just, and I don't know either. So I don't know that there are thousands of cases that are unreported. It just seems logical to assume that when you consider what the symptoms are. Now, um, five. Finally, uh, you know, the entire country is caught up in a fiery debate. It's a debate that uh, is, uh, is, is deeply philosophical, but also it seems quite personal to a lot of people. And it stems from this question that somebody posted online. Take a look at this. It says, is the jar the Kool-Aid man or the liquid? So when, when we think of the Kool-Aid man, what is he? What is his essence? Is he a jar that happens to have Kool-Aid in it? Or is he Kool-Aid that rides around in a jar? And you may think that the answer is obvious at first, but stop to think about this for a second, because we call him the Kool-Aid man, not the jar man. But then again, he has a mouth, eyes, nose. Could, could, a, could liquid have any of those things? So this is quite the metaphysical dilemma. Let me tell you how I sort through this, and I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot. I might write my, write my next book about it. Um, when I think of the Kool-Aid man, I'm not focused on Kool-Aid. I'm focused on man. He's a man, we're told. What is a man? What is a man's essence? Well, we are a harmony. We are a unity of body and soul. And you know, am I my soul or am I my body? That's the question. Well, the answer is I'm both. I am my body. I am my soul. The fundamental reality of the Kool-Aid man um, is that you know he is a jar and he is also liquid. Can the liquid live on without the jar? That's a different question entirely. It brings us into a debate about the afterlife and whether beverages are included in the divine promise of salvation. I tend to think that conscious beverages probably are, but you know that's a different discussion for a different day. Um, but this is where I, that's how I sort through the Kool-Aid question. All right, now uh, 
Moving on finally to our daily cancellation. Today on the chopping block, the University of Liverpool, a Twitter account called Liverpool Resistors posted this picture a few days ago. And uh, what we see here, someone on the campus has allegedly posted this sign with a rainbow flag that says genital preferences are transphobic. What they're saying is that if you're a straight man who's attracted to people with female genitalia, then you're transphobic. Or you're a straight woman attracted to people with male genitalia, you're transphobic. Uh, Or if you're a gay person attracted to the same genitalia, you're also transphobic. You must have no preferences whatsoever when it comes to sex. If you do, then you're transphobic. Now, in fairness, I say I'm canceling the university. I don't think the university put this sign up. I don't think they had anything to do with it. But I'm still canceling the university because they're part of the problem culturally in helping to create a society where this kind of madness um, proliferates. Now, I don't think I have to explain why it is not, in fact, transphobic to be attracted to a particular sex, to have a sexual orientation. And I don't think I have to mention that this kind of thinking, the thinking displayed in this poster, shows how trans ideology is cannibalizing the other constituencies of of the left. We already know what it's doing to feminism, how how trans ideology is destroying everything that feminists have gained. But here we, we see now that by this logic, a gay man is actually morally flawed. He's committing a sin by being attracted to other men. That's what this sign is saying. Because by this logic, what what the trans ideology is is, is claiming is that a a gay man must also be attracted to women or else he's committed a a moral evil of some kind. So the very tiny trans minority is just running roughshod over the rest of the left, destroying everything they've worked for. But I don't need to explain any of that. Here's what I do want to mention. According to the Me Too movement, To extort sex out of somebody through emotional manipulation or guilt is rape. That's what the Me Too movement says. Now, I don't think it's rape necessarily. You know, it's wrong. It's evil. It's perverse to do it. It's degrading and exploitative and many other things. But I'm crazy enough to think that that rape is a particular thing. Rape is the use of violence or the threat of violence to force somebody to have sex. That's That's what rape is. Um, there are other forms of immoral sex, other forms of sex that do not honor or respect the dignity of, of, of the human person. You know, there are many other forms that aren't necessarily rape. Rape is a particular thing, and that's what rape is in my view. But we're not talking about my view. I'm saying, according to the Me Too movement and the sort of mainstream perspective on these things now, it is rape, it is actual rape to use emotional manipulation to get sex out of somebody. Well, what do you call it when you tell someone they're transphobic for not being attracted to you? When someone doesn't want to have sex with you and you scream at them and call them a bigot and tell them the only way to prove they're not a bigot is to have sex with you. Well, what is that? According to the new rules, that's rape. So this sign is an advertisement for rape. It is an apology for rape. It is the promotion, the advocacy of rape. That's what that sign is. And that's why the University of Liverpool is canceled. All right, we're going to um, wrap things up here. But first, I wanted to mention one thing. We, we ran out of time for the, for the email segment. Uh, I'm, I'm changing the way that I do the email segment a little bit. Some people have asked, 
ask me about it. Why, why am I not doing it as much? Well, I've decided I want to, want to change it a little bit. Here's what I like about the, well, look, if you, if you want to send feedback about the show, get in touch with me for any reason, especially send me compliments. I'm always a big fan of that. So mattwalshow at gmail.com, you could still do that. But as far as the show goes, what I want that segment to be is um, a time for, to, to focus on arguments against what I have said on the show. So we might even call the segment, you know, why I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'll call it that. And I'm going to reserve it for one or two, maybe just one, if it's a really good argument, um, email from someone who's arguing against something that I've said on the show or in one of the articles I've written. So I'm, so, you know, it's, I don't want this show to just be an echo chamber where I pontificate unopposed. As fun as that is, I don't want it to just be that. So any, it, when you watch any show, if I make an argument you disagree with, email me and, uh, and then maybe I'll read it on the show. I'm not going to give you the last word, I'll admit, because I am going to respond. So you won't get the last word, but you will get a word at least. And before we wrap up, um, and that's, again, the email is mattwalshow at gmail.com. Before we wrap up, you know, we want to hear from you about this. Tell us, who do you think will win the Democratic nomination? And speaking of, of you know, us not being the only ones pontificating, this gives you a chance to put on your pundit hat a little bit. So tell us who you think will win the Democratic nomination by texting either Biden, Bernie, Bloomberg, the three Bs, or Warren to 83400. And on Tuesday night during uh, Daily Wire Backstage, uh, we will analyze the results live. Again, text either Biden, Bernie, Bloomberg, Warren to um, 83400, and the results will be analyzed on Daily Wire Backstage this Tuesday. All right, and we will wrap it up there. Stay safe out there, everybody. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover, supervising producer Robert Sterling, technical producer Austin Stevens, editor Danny D'Amico, audio mixer Robin Fenderson. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. After a week showing in Nevada and a total flop in South Carolina, smarmy radical and alleged rat Pete Buttigieg is dropping out of the presidential race, vindicating President Trump's prophecy that Alfred E. Newman cannot be president of the United States. We will examine who bought off Mayor Pete. Then Bloomberg finally makes it to a ballot as we look forward to Super Tuesday. A drag queen twerks for a toddler and President Trump kills it at CPAC. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. Hold up. 